So you have to understand the construction costs. And if you don't, you really want to make sure, I, I would say, make sure you get a home inspection on your property and then try to get a bid from a contractor during that feasibility or inspection timeline, because that's going to tell you where your numbers are if you don't already know them. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is James Daynard. And today we're talking about Burr investing, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. We're digging into that strategy. He has done many Burr deals and he's helped many other investors do their own Burr deals. And today we're digging into specific aspects of fur investing, how it can go right, how it can go wrong, things to have lined up before you do a bird deal, mistakes, common mistakes that a lot of investors make when they get started investing in burrs, digging into the weeds of fur investing. A lot of questions are answered in this one. So if you're thinking about getting into burr investing, this is an interview to listen to. If you're already doing burr deals, well, hopefully we can help you get to the next level with this conversation today. James does a ton in the real estate space. Today, we're just focusing on one aspect of his business. It's a great conversation and you're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial, multifamily, and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. For those of you who don't know, we are also available on YouTube. We're doing a lot more on the YouTube space, but the videos out there, a lot of content. So look us up on YouTube as well. Once again, our guest today is James Daynard, and today we're talking about Burr Investing. Without any further ado, here we go. James, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and you know, tell us about the podcast that you host as well? They might have yeah, heard they it. Yeah, they turned me on. <laughs> yeah, they are, uh, well, I love our podcast. So we're uh, with a talented group of people um, on the On the Market podcast on Bigger Pockets. What we do is we actually break down trends and we're looking at trends and forecasting a lot in the show, which is great because that is the key to all investing is make, looking down the road, you know, that, that saying of you, you make it on the, uh, it's all real estate is timing when you buy and sell. Like if you buy and sell at the right times or close to the right times, you can really maximize yourself. So that on the market podcast is that what it's all about tracking the trends and changing your, your uh, procedures behind it. Uh, but we've been, a, I've been a full-time investor since I was a senior in college at university of Washington. Uh, I was working at Red Robin, paying for school, and then I took a job for a local investment company, banging doors as a wholesaler. Um, and you know, I was 22 years old, and then we kind of grew from there. Um, so over the last 18 years, we've been through all sorts of markets: good markets, terrible markets, flat ones, and in the market that we're just coming out of. But we're very active in Washington State only. We we typically do about 150 to 200 flips a year with our clients and ourselves. Uh, typically, we do about 50 and our clients do about 150 of them. Uh, we're local hard money lenders where we're financing investors short term uh, throughout Washington State. And then we're very, very uh, big active buy and hold 
uh, investors where me and my business partner, we have close to almost 2,000 doors in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so a lot of value add. Uh, we don't buy stuff that that's really turnkey. We're just heavy value add investors uh, that that have really grown with the Seattle market, which is really great. I mean, compared to what it looked like 20 years ago, it's a totally different landscape now. Yeah. I mean, we, we hear about a lot of the changes up there with, you know, tech growing and, and Seattle generally growing along with it, big businesses uh, popping up. You're also telling me about part of your business where you help investors do bird deals in your area. And I want to dig into that a little bit and learn about what you provide, but also what investors get wrong when they try to do bird deals and all that kind of a thing. So first off, you know, tell us about it. Tell us uh, what you do in that realm. Yes. So our, our brokerage, Heat and Dana Real Estate, is actually tailored for investors. And the reason we actually started it, we, you know, back in the market crash, we were just deal guys selling off good properties. But then as a wholesaler, what we realized is really hard to sell a deal in a bad market. <laughs> and so we, uh, you know, it's because yeah. there's so much risk when the market's coming down, you know, a couple percent a month. And, and so what we did is we were active investors and wholesalers. So we had the skill set to fix these properties, but we couldn't buy them all um, it, back then. And so what we started doing through our, our brokerage was finding a way to mitigate risk for investors that wanted to do bird deals or fix and flip and help them with the construction process. So what we do when we're selling a bird property to any of our clients is they come in, we get them pre-qualified, we get them set up with the right the right money to, to take down the deal. Because the, the first key thing is a lot of people don't even realize in a bird that you have to have kind of a two-step loan set up a lot of times. You got to get your takedown loan that will help you lever less. And then with your perm financing on the backside to get you stabilized. But we do all the underwriting for the clients. We pull all the comparables. We pull the red comparables for them. We do the heavy number crunching for them. And then the biggest component of the burr is really the implementation of the plan because you can buy a great deal. Like if you're buying stuff for hundred grand or 200 and you think it needs 30K at work, that's going to be burr all day long. But if your 30K really is 80, that's going to be a <laughs> massive problem. And so we help investors mitigate risk by running them budgets. We give them referrals to contractors. We have a staff, a part of our sale when we sell a property is they get uh, something called a client service manager, which will actually meet them out on site once a week or twice a week. And he's going to get the referrals. We're going to give them the specs, cost-effective specs. So they know where to get the product for the right price. That's the right product that goes in that lasts. Um, and, and we help them reduce and control that middle cost. And then from there, uh, our full service brokerage either will sell it for them down the road if it's a fix and flip or if it's a burr, we, uh, we'll get them set up with the mortgage company, which is not us to get stabilized in. And then we help them with the lease up as well. Great. So there's that's kind of soup to nuts of doing the deal. And I, I wanted to, first off, dig in about... Well, for, for our listeners out there who don't know what a bird deal is, we'll start with that. Yeah. Just quick to find that for us. So burr is where you're buying a value-add uh, multifamily or residential property. Um, usually it's one to four units typically uh, just for the financing setup, but you can do, do larger. But that's where you're buying it at a discount. You're adding a construction plan and value to the property to increase the value. And then you're able to refinance. Uh, the key to a burr is your all-in cost have to be your purchase price and rehab and lending costs for your takedown loan need to be less than 70% of the new fixed up value. And the reason that's so key is that's the max a bank's going to lend you on a on a uh, refinance within a 12-month period. So typically with investors, we can get about a 70% new loan to value. So what the burr is, is you're buying a value add, you put in the, the 
the re uh, the rehab amount to increase the value, and then you leverage that value to get all your capital back up, cash flow the asset, and then go buy another one. Keep going. So it allows you to keep the gunpowder on the sidelines. It allows you to increase your portfolio and what you're buying. And then typically too, you're getting a lot better cash flow on them because you're able to buy these properties so discounted because of the repairs that they need. Great. Perfect. Love the uh, definition. And hopefully our, our listeners are totally caught up here. But the appeal is you can acquire assets when done correctly. You can acquire assets, put your capital in, fix them up, and then refinance, get your capital back out, but still own the property and cash flow at the same time. But there are many stumbling blocks in there. And I hope we could tackle at least a few of those. First off, you mentioned a little bit earlier the different layers of financing that are required. First off, to acquire the property and then to refinance with an investment loan. So can you tell us a bit about those and what the typical like ideal setup of that looks like? Yeah, and the financing is key in BRRs. And so if anybody's interested in going to start doing a BRRs, the first thing you want to do is get your two types of loans set up because typically when you're buying a BRRs, they're in bad shape. They need a lot of work and they're not really bank financeable. Or if you want that big discount, it's just hard to find something that is financeable to get underneath that 70% loan to value. And so what the key to BRRs is we want to set it up right with the right construction loan up front that will also allow me with a hard money lender to use that loan to value. If I'm buying a discounted property, the, the hard money lender is going to lend me a little bit more because they lend on loan to value, not just what, what you're buying the property for. So if we can get a discounted asset, we can get a hard money lender in there to actually allow us to put less down. On your typical rental property, you're putting 25% down. But when we're buying a burr, we actually only have to put down 15% down of the whole project because our hard money lenders using the loan to value and appreciation to reduce the amount of cash that we have to put in. And not only are we putting less than 25% down, they're also financing us back all of our repairs in the deal. And so what this allows us to do is really maximize our leverage position and cash on cash return. Because on a typical rental property, if I put, let's say it's a hundred grand, I put 25 grand down to buy it. And then I got to put 25 grand into the renovations. I'm out of pocket $50,000 on that deal. And then not only that, they're seasoning on that money to where you can't get your cash back out on the loan to value unless your lender has certain seasoning requirements. So yeah, it, it could be that 50 grand could be trapped for a whole year. Rather is if I set it up with a hard money lender, um, where if I'm buying it for hundred grand and it needs that 25 grand in fix up, they're going to have me come in with about 35,000 and that's going to give me all my rehab money as well. And so what it does is it, it usually allows me to put about 50% less cash in the deal. And then at the same time, I can get the deal closed quick. The hard money lender also gives me access to close it fast, which is going to get me a better discount. You know, because a lot of times when you're working with sellers, if you're giving them a clean offer, you know, most of my offers I write are a seven day close. That's it's, fast. Uh, yeah, and that, I mean, sometimes I run them at three. And uh, it's because we're just, for me, if I know I'm buying it and my lender can finance it right there, and I already know I want to buy it and I have the right plan, what do I care if I buy it in three days or 30 days? And as long as I have that that lender ready to go, I can buy that deal. And that's also, you know, if I'm competing with someone else on that property, that's an aggressive term where they might take a lower price because this guy's at 30 days with an inspection. I'm at seven days with no close or with no inspection. And depending on what's going on with the house, they might just go with that that deal. So it gives me the better deal first, the hard money lender. And then it allows me to leverage 50% less cash, or gives me 50% more leverage I can use, or I put 50% less money in the deal. Then once the property is fully repaired, then I go to my bank 
get the new uh, appraisal order and I refinance it into a conforming loan. Because the downside of the burr is your takedown financing is expensive. Your true hard money lenders charge 10 to 12% that can move that fast. And so the key to it is to take it down, get it cleaned up as fast as possible and then refi into stabilized money because your rate drops down by 50 to 60% once you stabilize out. Uh, but you have to be able to set up your financing correctly because if you go to buy that burn, you don't have set up with the right loans. You want to know what the seasoning is on the refinance. The, you know, the theory of burr is to get all your cash back out. So you need to set up your loans right to where you know what, what the takeout financing is requiring, but also to leave as little cash in the deal. Sometimes even on a burr, we have to leave 10% in because of seasoning requirements. But then once we hit year 13 or month 13, we'll refi it back out. But it's it's really important to set it up right. There's some other options too for all burr interested people. Like, you know, in our local market, I we have our lending business that does hard money with interest funding. But then I have my own private lending company as well for qualified investors that have already been pre-qualified for takeout financing. They have good credit, they have good assets. And I'll do a second forum based on those things with a higher leverage position because it makes it to where they can rate and term refinance that loan and structure it right. They're paying me the 12%, the two points for that, that balance, but it allows them to rate and term refi it, which makes it easy to do on a burr because you get all your cash back out. In addition to, you don't get banged with a half point cash out refi fee. And so those are things that every, you have to pay attention to in your financing. If you're pulling cash out, they charge you more. So you always want to be in really good communication with your, your mortgage officers to figure out what you can do is for the financing. We're all about that communication. Now, I want to touch quickly on seasoning just to define that a little more precisely. I mean, this house, we eat a lot of hot sauce. I like my food a little salty. Is that what you mean by seasoning? Probably not. Just to find that for us real quick, if you would. No, but I do enjoy that seasoning too. <laughs> so seasoning with banking is something you won't enjoy. It's, <laughs> so what it is, it's a bank requirement. You know, for most traditional banks, they have underwriting boxes and they don't change their box. They establish what they're lend on, whether it's a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guideline. But a lot of times... What it red flags the loan. If someone's buying a property, let's say for a hundred grand, and now it's worth two fifty on an appraisal, the bank it kind of concerns them that there's that massive equity increase, and so the bank will cap that and say, "Hey, no, we're only going to refinance you for your note amount, even though you have a higher uh, appraised value." But in some cases too, they'll actually add seasoning to where they're going, okay, fine, we will give you this money, but we're going to charge you more because they feel it's a higher risk. A bank kind of defined, when anytime a bank is issuing you cash and not just for a note amount, they almost charge you like an ATM, right? They're going to charge you that fee. <laughs> and and sure. typically it's going to be a half point. And so, and which is okay. Like I'm okay paying that half point fee as long as I build it in my performa up front. So yeah, those banks, I don't know the inner workings of banks, right? But they're going to sell that loan off to somebody and they're going to have to hold it on their books for a little while. And that represents additional yeah. risk. So they're going to charge you for it one way or another. They're going to get paid no matter what they do. So, okay, great. Another big aspect of real estate investing and burrs specifically is you're talking about doing all this work on these properties, fixing them up and all that. Yeah. So we're getting into fixing things up, having contractors, you know, coming up with the estimates, the physical condition of the property, all those kinds of things. What do you see investors kind of making mistakes with in that regard, or maybe not quite understanding when they get into Burr investing? Yeah, that's the dangerous part about the Burr theory. And the Burr theory is amazing, right? It's you're buying a property, you own an asset, you have no cash in, and you're getting paid by the house, and you picked up a huge equity position. That's a win on all 
all aspects. But you still have to know how to do that. If you're going to get that good of an investment, you have to practice your craft and make sure that you can execute in that. That if if it was that easy for everybody to rehab these things, everybody would own these properties. Yep. And you know, it's a great theory. It works. I've done it numerous times. But where people get into trouble is they're going, okay, you know, for me to get this burr, I have to get the value to here, right? Because again, they have to be all in at 70% of the new appraised value. But then they have never rehabbed before and they don't understand what it's going to take to get to that value. Or a lot of times when people are underwriting properties, they'll see again that house for 100 grand that's worth 250. And they're going, okay, well, the house isn't that bad. We just need to do paint carpets, paint the cabinets, throw appliances in, and it's rentable. And that's probably true. But then the problem is it doesn't get it to that top, top value because maybe the top value ones had upgraded cabinets, upgraded windows. It has all these extra upgrades that, that you didn't put which you wouldn't really factor into a normal rental a lot of times. And so it's about really underwriting the deal correctly, understanding the repairs that you need to do to get it to that value. Because if you if you put in too light of a budget, it might drop your value down by 20%, which is going to require you to leave more money in. Or the other thing that people get in trouble with is they just don't know what things cost. And they're thinking that 25 grand is a normal amount because the realtor told them, but then it turns into 50 to 60,000. And all of a sudden... They went through this whole burr process. They got the hard money loan. They bought this fixer property. They do all the repairs and they have to still leave because they went so far over budget, the loan to value will cast them out at 70% is they have to leave the difference in the property. And that difference, a lot of times, you know, if it ends up being like 20%, 25%, and they're really concerned about the cash and they want to deploy it into something else, it probably, or, you know, or if they're leaving 20, 25% in and they're okay leaving it there. It makes more sense to just go buy a turnkey rental because in a turnkey rental, you can get income day one. And so like on a lot of these Burr properties, you don't get income for the first four to nine months, depending on how big the renovation is. And so you have to kind of factor that dead time into the investment. And that's the biggest overlooked thing about the Burr when you're buying something, you're looking at this cash on cash return. But if I have a bunch of money sitting there for, let's say it's a 12 to 18 month Burr because it's a big fixer, I have to consider that dead time on my money into my cash flow. And, and a lot of times people are working too hard for the same amount of cash flow. They could have just went and bought something really clean and had no headache if they just would have bought it that way. So you have to understand the construction costs. And if you don't, you really want to make sure, I, I would say, make sure you get a home inspection on your property and then try to get a bid from a contractor during that feasibility or inspection timeline, because that's going to tell you where your numbers are if you don't already know them. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the turnkey space, especially since we uh, didn't bring that up. It's interesting how many newer investors in that space will waive an inspection and not see the property and just kind of take somebody's word for it instead of getting a third party to to uh, go and take a look, which is uh, which is really something. But my mind when I when we talk about costs, my mind goes to things that don't necessarily drive the value but can still cost a lot. Maybe foundation problems, plumbing issues, things along those yeah. lines that would come up in an inspection, but when you have somebody appraising it, maybe they don't see it, you know, it's not the new cabinets, it's not the new floors, that kind of thing, but it's still a cost you need to deal with. But you're talking about upgrading finishes, which is the other side of that, which um, I don't know that I would have immediately thought about. So it's interesting to uh, to point out. Well, yeah, because there's a big variance, at least in our Seattle market, like a dated home, and, and granted, even the last couple, you know, six months, things, things were selling for elevated pricing, but things that were really renovated got this extra push because mm -hmm. people were being able to finance these deals at three and a quarter or 3%. And so they were willing to buy, it's already done. 
And, and, you know, that's why we do so well in, in flipping is we would take it to that level and get this extra pump out of it. But the appraisers will consider that. Um, and, and it really makes a big deal. Like I've, I've had numerous people call me like, Hey, my, for some reason, my, my burden appraised, can you look at it? And I'll be like, well, yeah, that what you did there is not worth this. It's worth it. <laughs> there's there, so, and, and there's no right, right or wrong way. You just got to pull the right comparables and then make sure that you build the scope of work off the comparables, not off your walkthrough. You know, I don't really put my opinion in many properties. I just use my comps. I look at them, see what upgrades they have. And that's exactly what I'm sticking with. Don't want to over-renovate. Don't want to under-renovate. You want to get it right in the middle of the comps. Stick with the numbers. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Okay, great. So we're kind of running up on time a little bit. Before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, any parting words, final advice to the investors out there who might want to go the path of Burr investing? Uh, you just build your bench. You know, you, you want to make sure that you have two good hard money lenders, two good mortgage lenders, get a uh, get a local bank lender as well. That's the key. The financing is part of the key. The second thing is get your contractor in and make sure you have two. Always have two contractors. I like to have two contractors and two subs per item. And then really work with a broker. Don't just hire your friend that's going to give you a kickback on the commission or try to <laughs> save money. You want to make sure you have someone that can analyze that deal correctly for you. Because if the an analysis is off, your burr is turning into a straight rental property, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but you could have made your life way easier. So having the right team will make you be able to execute that, that burr strategy in general. Nice. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, James, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I had a few uh, very good ones, uh, but the best deal I ever did was my first deal when I was in college. And, and the reason I say that is um, it was a Burr property. I bought a townhome. I started with townhomes because they're very simple to renovate and clean up. And I got the right deal on it. Uh, I brought in, a, I got a first set. I didn't have a lot of cash, but I had been doing a lot of deals. And so I had a good reputation with some investors. And so I, I got a first through uh, interest fund or a local hard money company. And then I had a private investor come in as a second because I, he knew me so well. And what that did is it allowed me to refinance out and I was able to pull out. A, I bought the right first deal. I got it. Uh, I paid like 150 for it. I put 20 in. It appraised out at 300. It was a great buy. And it allowed me to pull about 40K back out of it. And it, it tripled my bank account. And that gave me that gunpowder to keep buying more rentals at that point. And based on that one deal, you know, and I was able to leverage this up, still cash flow $150 a month. And I was able to buy three more rentals with that money. And so by getting that first deal done, it was that domino effect. So I went from having no wealth to owning four properties. And so uh, it's not the sexiest property. It wasn't the property I made the most money in, but it definitely grew me the fastest out of everything. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, you know, sexy doesn't matter. It's all about the numbers. We're all about producing returns, not having just the, the swankiest asset on the block, right? We, we're all about the numbers. Yeah. 
So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Did it have to be real estate or can it be anything? Anything. Okay. The worst investment I made in the last, especially the last 24 months is I went toe to toe with Elon Musk and shorted Twitter. <laughs> let me, let me uh, or not Twitter, uh, Tesla. Tesla. Let me, yeah, he's fine Twitter. Um, to take a step back, I'm not a stock guy. I'm not, I, 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 don't, I stick with real estate. That's what I'm good at. But then I got this crazy idea that it was overinflated and that I should put a sheet, not, not knowing anything about the stock market. I put a massive short against Elon. And I lost over 120 grand uh, in, in like five months. It was bad. And I was just waiting. It was just losing, losing, losing. And like, because I, I remember I did it right before it split, which I don't know anything about stocks. This is why, this is why don't invest in stuff you don't know. Like don't go rush to go buy your bird, take your time, get your strategy down. Um, I didn't do anything and I, I took a nasty hit. So I, I learned my lesson. I only buy real estate and I don't bet against Elon Musk. Those are those are good rules of thumb. So you didn't uh, you didn't buy puts or something. You you did a proper short. Did a proper short. Well, it, honestly, I don't even know what a put is. That's why I should not be doing this. Yeah, that's my greatest advice for everybody: don't invest in stuff you don't know. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Know, <laughs> gradually get involved. Especially when you're placing, you know, bets with uh, kind of unlimited downside <laughs> on the the stock market. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's good advice. Well, and I mean, yeah. Or, or take baby steps. Don't don't swing for a home run on the first one. That's that's what I yeah, that, that I, it was a good tax write off though. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't let the tax tail wag the dog though, as they say. That's one of my favorite sayings. Exactly. My favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Um, picking and choosing the right uh, partners and relationships are by far the the biggest thing that has. Uh, either excelled my growth or prevented the growth. Uh, you know, luckily for me, I've been with my my business partner now 18 years. Uh, we work really well together. It's a great partnership. It is the companies that have done best. When I pick the wrong partners on new ventures that we try, they just don't do as well. So making sure that your partners or anybody you're working with it has the same integrity, they have the same core values, and also they have the same work ethic. Because if if it, you know if you're a worker, you know I'm 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 a deal guy. I'm a deal junkie. I like to work, and you, you got to make sure you have like-minded partners. And it, it, it your your potential growth is unlimited when you have the right team around you. And the most important person in your team is your partner. Nice, I love that, and I love all this conversation that we had today. We've been on the line for over an hour here, and it's been awesome connecting with you. For our listeners out there who want to get in touch, want to learn more about you, want to track you down, anything like that, want to find your podcast, whatever, where can they find you? So definitely check us out on the Bigger Pockets podcast on On the Market. A great lineup. Uh, we really, really, uh, it's an amazing show. And it's not just because I'm on it. I just love the show and I love everybody on it. Um, and then if, for more information, we do a lot of free education. I'm big on just educating investors for free. We get very technical. Check us out on our Instagram at jdaneflips. We do flip tips, renovation tips, strategies. Um, and then we're also launching jamesdaner.com, which is going to be just a lot of instructional videos, stuff. Knowledge is power in this business, right? Like the more you know, the more you can execute that burr. And for us, we just want to get the right information out so people can make smart decisions. And so they don't make a decision like I did with Tesla and, and, <laughs> and, a, and make a bad buy or bad investment. Um, 
and then also on our YouTube channel at Project RE, we do a lot of long instructional videos and, and math breakdown. I'm also a math nerd, so I like to break down math and figure out how you can make it work the best. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge about Burr investing and Burr strategy and how folks can protect themselves if they're going for a Burr investment. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.